Good evening. Goodbye Forever, Volume 2 by Natang Rinpoche. Chapter 16 The chance won't come again. And this, our life, exempt from public haunt, finds books in the running brooks, tongues in trees, sermons in stones, and good in everything. William Shakespeare, as you like it. You know, I find it a little weird the way debt teases you about being a hippie, commented Rebecca, when you're not typecast in that way at all, or not as far as I can see. You're not that different from me, and I was never really a hippie, even though I took on parts of what was going on. That's how I see it, but, you know, it's just her way, I smiled. I don't think she means anything by it more than having some fun. I think she knows that I'm too peculiar in my likes and dislikes to be designated like that. She enjoys teasing me and I don't mind her doing it. But you don't usually look as if you're experiencing it as a tease. I mean, you don't bridle about it. Well, no, I'm not teasable, I grinned. I'm not actually teasable about anything, as far as I know. To be teasable, you have to have something you're sensitive about or something you're trying to reject. So, as I'm not trying to reject the idea of being something like a hippie, teasing me about it doesn't achieve much. But, Rebecca pondered, but Det seems to think that she's teasing you. Yes, she does, I responded, and I never say anything to make her think otherwise. Can I ask why? Well, if I told her she wasn't succeeding in teasing me, it would sound as if I felt myself to have been teased. As it is, the whole exchange is quite brief. To say anything about it would be to extend it. Hmm, that's really unusually circumspect of you, Rebecca almost chuckled. I'm not sure I could have worked that out. It's quite psychologically subtle, but I can see it's a good approach. I think I'll remember that with my father next time I'm home. I think the only way it works is if you really aren't teasable. I don't know how far it would get you if you were just pretending not to be teasable. I mean, as you noticed, it doesn't exactly deter debt, does it? Right, you have a point there, Rebecca considered. But anyway, it sounds as if it's worth a try. I think that whether it works or not, it puts the power back in your hands. Yes, it could do that, I replied, but it also creates a little distance. I think, in the long run, the distance it creates might not be the best thing for a relationship. So I might have to mention the teasing at some point. Maybe in some situation where it hasn't just happened. 
That would be a useful idea too. You get the best of both worlds that way and it would be less confrontational. Can I ask you something, Vic? I nodded assent and Rebecca continued. Have you studied psychology? No. Then I've always tried to understand the way people work, I suppose. Having had an angry, overbearing father probably set me up for it. Then Buddhism's highly psychological, and I must have a fair amount of grounding from that. But if I can get back to this question of hippie, a few ideas have occurred to me as we've been talking. Rebecca made a movement of her head that indicated the change of subject was in order, and I launched in. There were good things about the whole hippie genre that I liked, that I still like. It's just that I'm not tightly locked into back-to-the-earth anti-establishment alternativism. I've nothing against people singing, We are stardust, we are golden, and we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. But it was never the direction I took from the clues I had found etched into the 60s. Rebecca nodded. Yes, I'd say very much the same. <coughs> and I think there are a lot of people who were never really hippies in the stereotypical sense. Trouble is, most of them are affected, self-conscious, non-conventionalists of one sort or another. True. I replied. I feel a sense of faint bewilderment as to what motivates people. What has meaning for people beyond hidebound conventionality and hidebound non-unconventionality? I look round and wonder who else there might be out there, apart from you three ladies, who's free of that. I find damn few. Then I laughed, remembering the Scots toast. Was like us, damn few and there a did. That's how it feels sometimes. Rebecca sighed. Do you remember that Dylan song? Then she sang. <coughs> Come writers and critics who prophesize with your pen and keep your eyes wide the chance won't come again and don't speak too soon for the wheels still in spin and there's no telling who that it's naming i used to love that song because of what i felt lay in the future and now what is left of that hope not a lot, as far as I can see, I replied. But, you know, I'd wager that there are a few people in most towns with art schools and music colleges who might be having this self-same conversation. That's a heartening thought. You know, this morning, Rebecca intoned dreamily, I remembered the Beatles their final live performance on the roof, of, the roof of the Apple Building in Savile Row in... That would have been 69, I remember it well. 
The police arrived at one point due to complaints about noise and they were asked to end the performance. Right, Rebecca mused, and the Beatles said later that they were disappointed they weren't arrested because a scene with the police hauling the band members off in handcuffs would have been an appropriate conclusion for the film. Yes, I can see that, I commented with a wry expression that formed itself a little too evidently. But I can also see that this was a part of that time that was problematic. Problematic, Rebecca cut in. Yes, in terms of art and the ethos that supported the art of the time. The problem with the Beatles' response was that it was reactive. Hell, I was reactive too, but I realised early on that reactivism has a short life. The whole idea of counterculture is doomed because it relies on a conservative culture against which it can rebel. Oh yes, I can see that. That's why that time was as it was, to a certain extent, and why that time has been lost, Rebecca commented. The 60s existed because of many factors, post-war pacifism and new affluence, I'm no social historian and don't like theorising without some real research. I don't think research would add anything to the picture, Rebecca remarked. I know something of the social history of the first half of the 20th century, but I have no idea why things looked as they did. All I can do is portray what an innocent eye saw and how I reacted to what was around me. There was a great deal of humour involved with belonging to the counterculture, and that is perhaps more important than looking at why it existed. Yes, I pondered, in terms of counterculture, I probably still find myself in a counterculture position. It's simply that the culture to which I ran counter is changing. I suppose that I always tend to run counter to unthinking conformity, the herd mentality, the workforce who keep the fashion industry affluent. Right, agreed Rebecca. The legacy of the 60s is found in a sector of what has now been accepted and it seems to be turning slowly into the new conformism. There are now whole food shops everywhere, where the rights and wrongs, goods and bads, are as inflexible as those to which my father adheres. As time goes on, I shall probably relate more to being a hippie than I did at the time, I laughed. Maybe I'll parody Robert Burns when I'm an old man. Ye see yon birky cad a street who struts and stares and a' that. Though hundreds worship at his word, he's but a coof for a' that. For a' that and a' that. His company pension and a' that. The freak o' independent mind, he looks and laughs at a' that. I far that and a that that a freak's a freak for a that.
or something like that. That's hysterical, Vic. You should have taken to the stage as an actor. Maybe there's time for that yet. Who knows? Maybe I am the coof for all that. Yeah, maybe that accounts for the four of us here in Hotwells, Rebecca nodded. But I'd say the whole world is three drinks behind. You've got me there, Rebecca. That must be a quote from something. It's from Three Drinks Ahead, a Humphrey Bogart movie made in 1950. He said something like, if everyone in the world would take three drinks, we would have no trouble. If Stalin, Truman and everybody else in the world had three drinks right now, they'd all loosen up and wouldn't need the United Nations. I think he's got something there, I smiled. Or if they'd remember a little more often that they're all going to die at some point and all their schemes will then be over. We've really only got a small pool of time to do what we set out to do. And so we may as well leave everyone else as free to get on with it as they see fit. So many people, however, are mad keen on controlling others and bludgeoning them with their wretched opinions. Yes, you'd think we could all be free of having to take notice of people's opinions as to how we dress and what we happen to enjoy, Rebecca sighed. We could all just decide to be free of the duties imposed by fashions and by the latest conservatism, however liberal it happens to look. Right, and even though we all have duties to those around us, we owe nobody a bean when it comes to appreciation. We're all essentially free to appreciate what we appreciate without having to answer to anyone. Yes, or maybe they'd all get fighting mad and every nuclear silo everywhere will open up and let rip and we'll hear Vera Lynn singing We'll meet again You know, from the mushroom cloud scene at the end of Dr. Strangelove. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? I said with slightly widening eyes. It was 1964 when that came out. I grew up with the view that Dr. Strangelove was closer to reality than comic fantasy. You know, I can still imagine that someone could really say, there will be no fighting in the war room and see no irony in, at all in the words. That's true. I think if people had more sense of the irony of many situations, they would act differently or stop talking such rubbish all the time. Just look at Trophy Head. Todd. He really has no idea at all, does he? I mean, he just acts as if it was his natural position to rule the roost. And he has no sense that he's blown his cover and the others in the illustration studio see him for what he is. I mean, Rebecca laughed, that whole scene when he ran off with your clothes and lost your keys and all that. 
and had to search for them every afternoon in the baking sun. That was quite amusing, I must admit, and yes, he did make himself look an idiot. The sad thing for me about Todd and Veranda is that I'd be friends with them tomorrow if they'd simply let go of it all. You would? Yes, I would. I might not ever get to be that close because we don't have that much in common, but we could be sociable, even cordial, and who knows? Really, you'd just forget everything, all the snide remarks and all the stupid aggressive slurs, Rebecca asked with a look of perplexity. Well, I've never really enjoyed recrimination that much. And anyone can change. Or I have to allow that anyone can change. You think Trophy Head would change? Not really, no, but it cannot be impossible. I think that if Todd was cast away on a desert island with me and we had to survive, that we'd get some kind of friendship going, if only for our survival. I think that kind of thing happens. Yes, I can see that, Rebecca laughed, but I hope you don't have to endure the desert island with Trophy Head. That would be an ordeal I wouldn't wish on anyone. Yes, I don't think I'd relish it too much, but... He shall not grow old as we who are left grow old. Age shall not weary him, nor the years condemn. I laughed. I have no idea why I said that. And I really didn't. <laughs>